Joy Tribe. Welcome back to the Joy Tribe podcast. I am sitting here chatting with Lisa Amit. She is one of our great friends, um, and she has a great story to tell. She's going to tell us a little bit about um, her journey with CMV, which I'm going to let her explain what that is and how she kind of navigated through that and continued to have faith and joy through a really trying time. So Lisa, welcome. Hello. I'm so excited. I know. I'm so excited to like talk to you face to face. We've been Instagram friends for a while now and we've yeah, never like, here. yeah. And I have a funny story. I actually want to tell you, I was thinking about this when I asked you to be on the podcast. You <laughs> were the first person to reach out to us asking if we wanted to collaborate. Yay! And what's so funny though, I remember this so clearly because I was, I knew absolutely nothing about the Instagram world. I was like, I'm just yeah. going to start a business and I'm just going to, yeah, we'll just talk about it on Instagram. And like, I had no idea about the whole like ins and outs. So when you reached out, you were like, hey, um, you know, we'd love to collaborate. I looked at my husband and I was like, what is a collaboration? I was like, what does that mean? And so I literally Googled, I Googled what is an Instagram collaboration and like, how does that work? Because I didn't want to sound stupid and be like, yeah, that's great. But like, what is that? Yeah, but what does that mean? Yeah, so it was so funny. But when I was thinking about us chatting, I was like, I've got to tell her that. I don't think I've ever told her that she was the first person to reach out. And I had no idea what a collaboration that really was. So funny. You were one of my first friends that I... Um, worked with like consistently long term that's so great yeah but yeah we've I've been so thankful for your friendship and you've just really helped get our brand out there and I just really appreciate that um but I'm really excited for you to share your story um when we first connected um most of y'all know when we collaborate they get a coupon code and they usually pick a charity that means something to them and so when you picked um WWU Hearing Clinic I was like, why, why did you choose that? And so you told me this really cool story and I would love for you to share that. So she's going to tell us a little bit about, um, really the journey of your second pregnancy. Yeah. I, when I I reached out and told you our story, I actually don't think at that point that we had really been public with our story. So we were just like first for each other for a lot of things. but yeah. not a whole lot just because we were still really in the thick of it and really overwhelmed by everything going on. Yeah, like, and I'm know? sure just like processing it and not even sure how you wanted to share yet. So I'm really excited. Yeah. To... Um, so our our journey with CMV, cytomegalovirus, it's a big, scary, long name. Yeah. Uh, but it's just called CMV for short. Started when I was pregnant with Kinley, our second And that was, I first started feeling sick in February of 2017, so about two years ago. Okay. And I actually told my doctor that I just didn't feel right. So were you pregnant yet or not pregnant yet? No, I was about 30, I was about 31 weeks pregnant when I first, Mm -hmm. so So I was in my Trimester. That's that's crazy because um, we talked a long time ago that I used to work at a high risk OBGYN clinic as yeah. an ultrasound tech. So when you told me that, I already kind of knew about it. And that's amazing that you went that far and didn't have any like signs really of it yet. Because a lot of people they show earlier too. So that's that's yeah. crazy. A lot of people contract it 
in their first trimester from what I've read. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that's a little more common. Mm -hmm. And I, looking back now, I know that was totally God touching me. And that was a huge blessing because I think that's why she doesn't have so many of the severe. Well, right. And our doctor, the doctors down at UW and Children's even told us if I had contracted it even a week earlier, she, it would have been a different story. That's, she would have more than likely been stillborn. She could yes. have had microcephaly, mm-hmm. which is when their head is really small. Um, well, real quick, real quick, because me and you, like, we both yeah. know about this. But yeah, so yeah. kind of tell them it's it's a virus that you, oh, yeah. you got. So, yeah, so it's, it's a virus and actually over 85% of adults have contracted it by the time they reach adulthood. Usually in childhood you get it. Mm-hmm. And... I had what's called primary CMV because for some reason I never contracted it as a child, which is crazy because I was a teacher. So I was crazy all the time. Yep. And I just, I never got it until I was pregnant. So I contracted it and it stays, um, is it dormant? I guess. Yeah. So like from the time you contract it, it kind of hibernates for eight weeks, mm-hmm. and then symptoms start showing up. So I probably got it around Christmas time. Okay. And then in February is when I first told my doctor, hey, I don't feel good. But CMV, because it is just a virus, it comes across kind of like a cold. Okay. I was going to ask you what kind so, of were your symptoms. Yeah. So for a lot of little kids, it's just a three-week-long runny nose and mild cough. Okay. But if you have anything that's making you immune deficient or, like, your immune system's a little bit weaker, which pregnancy does. That's right. Then it can actually attack your organs. Okay. So what I was feeling, the pain that I was feeling, was because this virus was starting to attack my organs. But I didn't know that. And I didn't know how to articulate it in a way that my doctor wouldn't be like, she's a crazy pregnant person. Right, like, oh, you just have a cold, like, suck it up. Yeah. So my first symptoms were actually just a low-grade fever. And I I think that I sort of put the nail in my coffin with my doctor the way I explained it. Because I was like, you know, I'm getting a low-grade fever at 4 p.m. every day. And then it gets higher and higher through the night, and I'm in pain, and then it's, I'm fine during the day. And that's, so that, that had like, to be, like, really scary, being pregnant and then having that fever and not knowing. Like, that had to be a scary... Yes. I had no idea what was going on, and it was coming on every single day, like clockwork. I would start getting a fever, and my abdomen just hurt from the inside out. So it was just a pain that I've never felt before. Yeah. And I had my son, Mason, was about two, two almost two and a half at this time. So I'm trying to take care of him, right. trying to run fitness. And I was in a lot of pain. And I think my doctor just assumed, you know, I was in the third trimester. Pain yeah. is normal. Being yeah. tired is normal. Right. But I had two weeks of a low-grade fever, and anyone can Google, and I know that's the worst thing to do when you're pregnant, but a fever for that many days in a row, it's just not normal. Right, no, no, it's not. Yeah, so at 30, let's see, at 
just before, so around 32 and a half weeks pregnant, I went back into my doctor because this is, might be TMI, but I think it's important to note because it can um, be a sign of both cholestasis or ICP of pregnancy and CMV. Okay. If your liver is being attacked, is my urine started turning bright orange, like oh, neon gosh. orange. That would definitely freak you out. Like, <laughs> I mean. Yeah, I was like, I haven't eaten any, like, I've yeah. for a second what is running through your mind like you're 30 something weeks pregnant you know something's wrong and now they're like your blood work is crazy like what are you feeling in that moment oh I was fully panicking and like my phone was glued to my hand and it was on WebMD and like Google and I I thought that I was going to die to be completely frank well I mean I think that's a fair feeling to have in that moment, especially with yeah. the, with the pregnancy hormones raging, like I think you were allowed to have that thought. And I was just and the other thing. This is total side note. Not I mean, kind of to do with that, but I sort of had to mourn that I had this like little silly bucket list of things I wanted to do with Mason before yeah. I had the second baby. And now I was so sick, and I felt like I was kind of failing him as a mom because I couldn't spend that quality time with him because I was in so much pain. Yeah, no, that is, I can't imagine. Like, I know that was probably so hard. Yeah, so then the next day they had me come in for more blood work. It was the same test. They just wanted to see what the levels were doing, and everything was getting worse, worse. like, by a lot. So then... I think that was like a Tuesday or Wednesday. And then I went back in on a Thursday to get more blood work done. And on Friday night, they hadn't called me with the results. And I was having contractions. I think they were, my husband made me drive to go get a spa soup is how I remember this. Because <laughs> I remember like timing them on my drive there and realizing it wasn't slowing down. But they were like, Two and a half, three minutes apart consistently, yeah. like, good contractions. Mm-hmm. Good, solid, and, like, something's happening. <laughs> mm-hmm, exactly. And so I called the doctor, and they and no one was in the office, and the online nurse was like, I can't give you your results. Um, I can't access that computer system right now. It's after hours. So I was like, okay, we'll just have someone call me in the morning. Well... I was up that whole night, and I I made it to the couch, and I just couldn't sleep on our bed. I was in a lot of pain, and I remember thinking I was actually going to die. Like, the thought crossed my mind, and 
Like that's, I'm so really heavy that I, this was it. Like, yeah, I was dying. That's such a heavy feeling to have, like, because you, you're trying to get people, you're telling them something's wrong, and they're not, yeah. you know, they're slowly looking because your blood work was so uh-huh. off, but they're not, you know, you're feeling this daily, and that I can't imagine. It seemed, it felt really urgent to me, mm-hmm. and I felt like nobody was listening, and I was laying on the couch and I remember we have this little Christmas Eve book where every Christmas Eve I would write a note to Mason, like a letter. And I remember looking at it from across the living room on the couch and thinking I couldn't move because I was in that much pain, like excruciating pain. But I remember thinking that I had to find a way to get to that book because I wanted to write him a letter for his 16th birthday. Oh my gosh. I was sobbing. Kyle was snoring on in our bedroom. Yeah. Had no idea. And I just was thinking about all the big moments of Mason's life that I was going to miss. The thought didn't even cross my mind about Kinley, like, that she wouldn't make it if I died. Like, right. I was so worried about missing things for Mason, like writing letters to Kyle. And I actually te- texted my best friend, Jaylen, and I was like, hey, I know we always joke about that we're going to die or we have this disease or that disease. But I think this is really it. Like something's really wrong. And it was actually my best friend that gave me the courage to really push back at the doctors. And so that next morning, it was like, but it was before 6am. I got an alert on my email that my lab results were in. Mm -hmm. Nobody had called me yet, but I, I got into my lab results from my email, and they were just insane, insane amounts worse. And I was kind of Googling it, and I was like, okay, like, if I have these numbers, that means that my kidney is failing. Oh, and my liver is also going into failure. Oh, gosh. And so I'm Googling all these things and, and freaking out, and I told Kyle, and he at the time was studying for a big engineering test, the mm-hmm. PE a professional engineering, um, it's like a certificate thing. I'm, I'm licensed. <laughs> but, so he was studying for that. So he had already left the house. Okay. And I called him and I said, Hey, I think you need to come back. Cause I like something is really wrong. I right. just got my lap back. And he, he told me just to call the doctor. So I called and the doctor's office that we go to also has an OB, but it's not one that I saw. Right. And so the doctor looked at the results, and they were like, you're 30, almost 33 weeks pregnant. Like, these results are pretty, they're pretty intense. Let me contact our OB. So she called me back. It wasn't even a minute. And she had called me back and said, can I have permission to call your OB? I want to send you to the hospital, but I'm over their heads she was like I don't know why you're not in the hospital already like your results I'm looking at them from the entire week and someone should have done something days ago and I was like okay so she called my you're like thank you like finally somebody is listening to me I am not crazy like yes that and that was the biggest thing is that they all made me feel so crazy and so to have someone be like no you're not crazy like you need help right just it was, it was scary, but also there was a little bit of that relief in there. Right. Like, finally, so, I'm going to get taken care of. Like, we're going to be, we're going to get taken care of. Yeah. Yep. 
So then my my OB called and she said, you need to go to the hospital right now. And I was like, I, okay, like I just woke up and she was like, I don't care if you're wearing clothes or not, like you need to get here now, like just come as you are. So Kyle was already on his way back to our house. So the second he got there, my parents had gotten there to watch Mason and we left for the hospital. And when I got there, they told me they thought I had help syndrome, hmm. which is a really severe form of preeclampsia. And normally, if you have help syndrome, I think they have to do an emergency C-section pretty much the same day you're diagnosed. So how many it's weeks are you? How many weeks are you at this point? I was 33 weeks at this point. Okay. So our our little hospital doesn't have a NICU, so you cannot deliver there before 34 weeks. Okay. So we got to our little hospital. They tell me I probably have help syndrome and they hooked me up to everything and they're like, okay, you're also in active labor. So whatever was going on with my body had sent me into active labor as well, which I didn't realize had that was happening. Also. Um, so they checked me and I had dilated to a one And they gave me a steroid shot, which if you're a mom listening and you've ever had a preemie or just for some reason had to have the steroid shot in your hips or butt, it hurts so bad. Oh, gosh. Oh, my goodness. On top of everything else your body's going through, now they're going (laughs) to shove this huge needle. Yeah, you think it wouldn't matter, but oh, man, it hurts so bad. Oh, Oh, gosh. So then they sent me in an ambulance. Um, Kyle got in his car and followed the ambulance down all the way to Seattle. So it was about probably an hour and a half drive. So you're in the back of an ambulance in active labor, still not yep. sure what's happening. You're still probably yep. completely freaking okay. out. And you know you're in you know you're in active labor at thirty three weeks. So I mean there's a lot of emotions riding on this right this minute. Definitely. And then we get down there and once they got me, they took me in a labor and delivery room, but at this point I was hooked up to different IVs and I honestly don't know what all I was on, Mm -hmm. but I know that at that point I started, like, I didn't realize really what was going on around me. Like I couldn't process everything because everything was happening so fast. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that they did hook me up to a magnesium drip and that for some reason made my brain like total foggy. Oh gosh. I, it took me, it took me a while, like, it wasn't until that evening that I realized I was in a labor and delivery room, like, even though I had been told I was in active labor, it didn't click with me that they would actually make me have my baby. Right. I thought, this is Seattle, we're getting sent to a big hospital, like, they'll find a way to keep her in and fix whatever's going on with me. Yeah. So they checked me, and what's funny about that is that UW is a teaching hospital, and so sort of like you would see in Grey's Anatomy, there's like eight interns or whatever they're called. Oh, yeah, like you were a complete, like, everyone was like, oh, we've got to know what's going on with her. I can only imagine. Yeah, so they're checking they're checking me to see how far I'm dilated, and there's like eight people just staring at my lady tunnel, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, like, and they're like, you know, are you fine with this? It's a teaching hospital, and obviously I'm not going to say no. They need to learn. Right. So they checked me, and I by that point, I had already dilated to a four within, like, an hour. Mm-hmm. So we kind of thought for sure we would be having Kinley that day. Um, 
they kept running tests and they ruled out help syndrome because I had, I think I checked like all the boxes, but one, which was my blood pressure was fine. Mm -hmm. That's what I was going to ask you. Cause you know, that would be, that's like the huge yeah. sign of preeclampsia. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the first signs I did <clears throat> mm -hmm. normally, but I had the protein in my urine and I had all the other signs. It just, for some reason, my blood pressure was fine. So they're yeah. like, we don't. We don't want to take her out. If we can stop labor, we're going to stop labor. So they were able to stop it. And then the next few days were spent just getting my blood drawn constantly. I think, I don't remember how many scars I counted when I left, but I actually still have scars up and down my arms and on my hands from how many times I got poked. Oh my gosh. Um, so that was not fun and it just, it just, the whole situation was really overwhelming because I had that little bit of relief knowing, Hey, like we get to see our baby. Yeah, she's premature, but we'll get to see that she's okay. At least right. even if I'm in pain to being told, wait, we diagnosed you wrong. We still don't know what's wrong with you. But yeah. So, so it's like you had almost yeah. come to terms with what was happening and yeah. then they were like, Oh wait, never mind. That's not it. So it was kind of this roller coaster that we were being sent on. And hang on, I'm going to get a drink of water. You're fine. <laughs> and um, yeah, so we were being sent on this roller coaster. And then our second to last day there, they told us that I had CMV. Oh, hang on. <laughs> you're fine allergies allergies are so real right now in the south so we're all sneezing and coughing you're completely fine oh so bad <laughs> excuse us while we're on a water break we'll all take a sip to clear our throats but yeah I can't even imagine like you know a time in your life that was supposed to be so full of joy and just such a fun, exciting time really just got turned upside down for you. And I can't imagine just how hard that really was. Yeah, it was. Sorry. <laughs> You're fine. I have the worst head cold. Um, so I, they came in wearing paper gowns. Oh, Lord. Actually, and like masks. So in the book that I wrote, which we'll tell you guys a little bit about later, I actually joked that I thought I had started like the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> like you had started the, the new epidemic or something. Uh-huh. Yeah, because they had the full, full body suits on, like the paper gowns, masks, uh -huh. everything, gloves. And they came in to tell me that I had CMV. And I had no idea what that was. No. And so I'm sure the thoughts in your head were like, oh my gosh, if they're wearing all this stuff, like, have I given this to Mason? Have I given this to my husband? Like, you know, what is yeah. this? Well, and what was strange was I felt like, and my husband felt like this too, nobody really, they told us that I had it, but they didn't explain what it was. Right. So they told us that, they wouldn't get the blood results back for, um, like, up to four days. <coughs> and what did they tell you regarding to, like, Kinley? 
Like, did they say anything how it would affect her at that time? Yeah. So they actually told us that I had a less than 1% chance that it would be primary, which is what we talked about earlier. Right. Primary, your first time ever getting it. But they wouldn't know for four days. And with CMV and pregnancy, why it's so dangerous is because it can cross the placenta. But it usually, you have less risk of it crossing the placenta if you're in your third trimester. Okay. And if it's secondary. Mm -hmm. So they told us it was unlikely that it would have crossed the placenta. But they wouldn't know for sure until she's born. Okay. So at that point, um, Kyle had actually gone home to go see Mason and take a shower and just clean the house before I came back home. Because they told us we could go home the next day. Oh, okay. Um, so to make sure. At this point, my contractions were consistently 8 to 10 minutes apart. Which sounds really close together still. But it was an improvement from two and a half minutes apart. Right. So at this point, you're not in active labor anymore. Correct. Okay. Um, I was still dilated to a four but I was at that point I was a day away from 34 weeks and at 34 weeks I would be able to have her in Bellingham so they felt like it would be safe for me to go home okay even if I went back into labor I could still be just at home um in Bellingham so but I got home And then we learned that it was primary. So, so what exactly? First time. So that okay. So it was your first time. That's what that means. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. And so we still wouldn't know if it had crossed the placenta or not. But Kyle is the ultimate optimist, and I'm a never-ending pessimist. Uh-huh. So he was telling everyone that everything was fine. I had this, but Kinley would be fine. It wasn't a big deal. It was just, like, a very mild thing that happened. Uh And I was still in pain. Um, My liver had – it wasn't in failure, but it was getting – the numbers were getting close to that line. And it had attacked my right lung, my right kidney, and my liver. That is crazy. So how did they – so did they not, (laughs) at this point – give you like treatment for it because you were still pregnant or were they giving you something that was supposed to like help? Um, I think that, well, I think that a lot of medical professionals, I think CMV, it's not something that we felt like at least in our state, a lot of the medical professionals knew a whole lot about, Okay. or at least it was something that they didn't take seriously. So I think they thought, it'll just pass like a normal cold, which it did get better, but I was in a lot of pain for Mm -hmm. several weeks. And still 30 something weeks pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. 34. On top, on top of that. Goodness. Yeah. So I was, I had regular NSTs and then I was also, which is where they monitor the baby's movement and Mm -hmm. heart rate and everything. And she never, she never in utero had any kind of like, um, signs no nothing showed up on her no the only thing was she wasn't moving okay but they said that could have just been she just was a chill baby Mm -hmm. so they're concerned about it she just rarely moved okay 
but her heart rate and everything stayed normal. Stayed normal. Mm-hmm. And so, and on the ultrasound, she looked good also, like her size and everything. They checked her head size, and it looked pretty normal. So they weren't worried about, about it. Right. Um, I think the microcephaly is, and there's that, and then I think when it's really severe, they spot, they have spots, like, on their liver and stuff. Yeah, I can remember, we had, we had one patient, and she actually, they think she had CMV before she was pregnant, and, and it was dormant, like you said, it can be dormant, and then she got pregnant, and it triggered it, and it just, I mean, it was, it was bad. The baby didn't make it, and so that's why I was so curious about your story, too, and when you got it, and how, um, yeah, because I think there's so many, there's so many, like, crazy diseases and things that happen that are so rare, and I feel like a lot of people don't know about CMV, because that's one of them, and the crazy thing is, though, is that I learned after so once I got home, I was put on bed rest, and I just, I dove into researching CMV. I reached out to groups. I reached out to the National CMV Foundation. There's such power in community, and I know that had to be such a comfort to, like, read other people's, mm-hmm. like, testimonies and, like, feel like you weren't so alone in this. The wild thing was, though, is that I learned that one in 150 babies are born with CMV. That's, that's pretty. Like, that doesn't feel rare to me no it doesn't no you're right but it's not something that is talked about no and it's the leading non-genetic cause of childhood hearing loss I did not know that it's more common by far than down syndrome fetal alcohol syndrome all these things that we know so much about right and they haven't really shared much about that so I love that you're kind of being like a voice and advocate for (laughs) mom's who have gone through that through pregnancy and with their small children and just the risks that run along with that. Yeah. And so I made it to 39 weeks with Kenley. And when we had her, they took her and did a blood test and a urine test. So they gave her a bath to make sure that it wouldn't be cross-contaminated samples. And then we had to wait... I honestly don't remember how long we had to wait to get her results, but I know it was longer than I wanted to wait. Right. And something, looking back, kind of frustrating, but looking back, it was an honest mistake. But the nurse actually called us from the pediatrician's office and told us that the test was negative and that Kinley didn't have it. And I remember we were at a coffee shop. And we'd just gotten back in our car when she called, and uh, we both were crying and, like, so relieved. Yeah. Excited. And I think that my husband even might have called and told his parents, like, hey, she doesn't have it. Um, Like, so thankful. And then they called back 10 minutes later, oh, and gosh. it was the doctor. And she's like, hey, so sorry, but they read that test wrong. We don't see that test a lot here. She has CMV. So So you go from this, like, super high, joyous, like, (laughs) moment to, like, crashing down reality. Yes, because (sighs) when I was on bed rest and had been researching everything, I, at this point, knew exactly what her, not exactly, but I knew a lot of what a positive diagnosis would entail, and it would entail a lot of tests and poking her and traveling around to appointments and going to children's and 
to hear that we wouldn't have to do all of that was so exciting. And then to hear, wait, she does have it. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is our new reality. Right. So that was pretty crushing and scary. And that same day, we, Kyle and I got to work setting up all of her appointments. She had a vision appointment when she was like maybe a week old. And I made Kyle hold her because I just couldn't do it. They take two. I'm like showing you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm wa- and I'm like watching intently. <laughs> they take two. Um, I think they're metal, but I'm not sure. I stayed kind of far back like prongs and hold their eyelids open and then they use two more and maneuver their eyeballs oh my gosh and she screamed yeah she's completely pissed and yeah and her eyes were swollen shut and red for i think a few days Um, she could like kind of open them by the next day but they were pretty swollen and red so it's just it was heartbreaking. Yeah. Did you did you deal with any kind of, like, guilt? Did you feel, I don't want to say responsible, but did, I know people sometimes when they go through a situation, did you kind of have that moment yeah. of, like, this is my fault? And how did you, like, pull yourself out of that? So I think that in the beginning, I was more angry that someone else gave it to me and angry that... I didn't wash my hands more because it, it's preventable. It's to, it's just like the flu or the cold. It's preventable. If you're around someone that's sick, just wash your hands more. Don't drink or eat after them. Right. But I was more angry that someone passed it on to me and I didn't realize it. Mm-hmm. And I probably spent more time than I'd like to admit trying to figure out who gave it to me. <laughs> like rethinking your last months and who you were around. I stopped sub I was at that point um I was no longer full-time teaching I was just a substitute and after that I have not I haven't stepped into a classroom since then because I'm terrified that that's where I got it from which is really silly and it doesn't matter if I get it again now really right but it's just this anxiety of knowing that that was likely where I got it from that I just after I had Kinley, I wasn't able to substitute again. I'm sure it's kind of like a form of PTSD. Like, you're just kind of like, you went through something so traumatic, and you just the thought of where you connected that, probably that you got it, I can just, I, I can totally see yeah. where you wouldn't want to do that again. Definitely. And so then, actually, it wasn't until the first time that I really felt guilty, and it hit me and I processed it enough that like I gave this to her and even though I knew in my heart and in my head like it's not my fault really Mm -hmm. but the first time that I felt that ownership and that blame was when it was a year so when she turned a year old and it kind of last February when it hit the year marker of everything that had happened and I had time to process and think about what had happened and just like the doctor's not listening to me and kind of thinking the what ifs and could I have done anything differently? Mm -hmm. That was the first time that I really felt felt that blame, I think. And so I think that sort of in a way was a little bit of like PTSD just because it was really traumatic. And her first year was such a busy year of trying to juggle not only the regular, like, a mom going from one to two kids and balancing that, but also her health problems on top of it. Mm-hmm. And 
all the appointments, and so I didn't have time to really process it until about a year later. When things have kind of calmed down a little bit. Yeah. Did, was your faith shaken? Did you have a moment of, like, anger um, with God? Like, why, you know, did you have a moment of, why did this happen? Like, why would you let this happen kind of thing? Or how was your, how was that kind of relationship during that time? I think, I think in a weird way, it actually made my faith a little bit stronger because I really had to lean into prayer a lot more. Yes. And like take a lot more time just having that quiet time and meditation and just praying and, and hoping that everything would turn out and really believing that there was a plan for this and I mean I had to really put God or put Kinley in God's hands because I clearly didn't have any control over right I mean it's out of your hands right yeah so I mean that was really hard and it didn't come easy by any means but I think that it helped me really over since she's been born really trust that like my children are in God's hands and I'm just here helping him out raising them on earth. That's such a good point. It's so true. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like it it made my faith a little bit stronger. And really funny thing, and especially because, you know, my Joy Tribe is all about the joyful revolution and all that is, like I'd mentioned before, I am like a devout pessimist. (laughs) I'm a ultimate pessimist. And it drives my husband nuts. But I think that, since having Kinley and going through everything with CMB, in a really weird way, it's made me look to the positive a little bit more often and really realize that even in the hardest moments or the most chaos, there is joy still. Yes. I have to look a little bit harder. Sometimes you got to dig a little deeper, but it's, it's always yeah. there. So I think that I've never seen myself as a joyful person. I've always been weirdly annoyed by the word joy. Like as a kid, people said, like, I'm full of joy or whatever. I'd just be like, who are you? But in a weird way, it's just made that become something that I love and strive to have more of in my life. I love that. Um, The chaos buried me for a while. That's I love that so much. Yeah, I always like to ask, because when people go through a traumatic time, you know, a lot of times it has them draw closer to God and draw closer to joy, and then sometimes it pushes away, and it, they come yeah. back to that in a roundabout way. So I always am curious, you know, when people go through what, what it did to them spiritually, and I love that it had yeah. it made you cling to him more and trust that his plan was good for you, um, even though it was hard. You know, and looking at, watching this from the outside in, you know, with a plan, now he's using you to share your story and make it something to talk about. Because that's just so crazy. Like you said, like, it is more common than Down syndrome. It's more common than so many of these genetic disorders, but it's not researched a lot and it's not talked about. Well, and like, we have... We have not, I don't know if they're mandated or what the legislation is, but like, you know, every pregnant mom gets tested or has the option and is educated on the option to be tested for Down syndrome or fetal alcohol, things like that. And other really rare blood disorders right. like can be tested while you're pregnant. 
And yet, I think there's only, don't quote me on this, because I know that there's been some states in the last couple of years that have come a little ways, but I know last year, I think there was just eight states that had any kind of legislation on CMV. That's so crazy. That, like mandated testing or at least mandated education, like having a pamphlet in a doctor's office or letting women know like, hey, this is totally preventable. And you know what, with you saying, yeah, with you saying this, like with me having worked for almost two years at a high risk OBGYN office, I don't even think we had a pamphlet like on CMV. Like, you know, we had a wall full of things about Down syndrome and all the different like trisomies and everything. And I don't think we had one on CMV. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's the leading non-genetic cause of childhood hearing loss. It's one in 150 are born with it. The the one that really hit me and it actually made me cry, both because I felt horrible for the moms that weren't as fortunate as me, and also because it, it was the first time when I read this statistic that it hit me how fortunate I was. Every single hour in the U.S., a child is permanently disabled from CMV. Like, every single hour. Oh, my gosh. That blows my mind. Like, it, that just tells me, like, it's not – I thought it was rare. I thought I was, like, this crazy statistic. Well, I did, too. Like, <laughs> I, you know, I hadn't done research like you have, and so I've only heard of a handful of cases of CMV, so that I, yeah. I did, too. I thought it was, like, a super rare thing. So for you to tell me one in whatever, that's, that's crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah, um, it, it, just, it blows my mind and it makes me so sad. And actually, since I've started sharing my stories, I've gotten I've gotten DMs and messages of people saying, hey, like, we found out my child has CMB because of your story. Like, we went wow. and had them tested for it because they had symptoms that we didn't know were symptoms until we read about it on your page or whatever. Right. So what so, are, what are, like, so when they told you that, Kinley did test positive. What, give me like kind of like a list of the things that y'all were having to rule out that, you know, that, that it can possibly affect. Like yeah. I know her hearing, vision, like what are some of the things that. Um... Hearing, vision, those are, those were the two biggest concerns for Kinley. Mm-hmm. So she's still until about age six has a 25% chance of losing her hearing. And can that just happen like at any time? Like just any time yeah, so it can just. I've actually read stories where moms put their babies to bed or their toddlers to bed perfectly hearing fine and the next morning they either had hearing loss or in some cases were profoundly deaf. Oh my goodness. So, so that's... it goes. <laughs> Usually I think it's gradually. But, so that's why you have them tested often, often for the first six years. So how is Kinley? What Where are y'all at with everything right current time? How old is she? She is almost two. Okay. A couple weeks, two years old. And she just passed a hearing test last month with both ears, which was huge yes. because we thought she had mild hearing loss in her right ear. That's what we had been told. Um, but I think it's just hard to test infants because they're squirting and stuff. So for now, she has hearing. Um, her language is a little bit delayed and we aren't, we aren't sure. I mean, that just could be being a younger sibling, hopefully. Yeah. But. It is so hard when they're this young because you just don't know, like, would they, if nothing had happened, would she have still not talked to this, you know, you just, it's, it's a hard game to play. 
Exactly. And then the other the other thing that we found out in the last year with Kinley that I we weren't expecting at all and nobody even told us could be a side effect. And I had remembered reading it when I was pregnant and researching everything after we got our diagnosis, but because she didn't have any signs of it in the first year I put it on the back burner was Kinley started having seizures. And they're just what's called simple focal seizures. So it's just affects like her, usually it's her right arm or the right side of her body. I remember, now that you say that, I remember you posting about that a while ago. I remember you sharing that. That was really, really scary. And like I have had kids in class have seizures, but it's normally grand mal. And so she actually, and I feel really bad saying this, like a bad mom, but she was having them for like a good six months before I finally spoke up because it was just, it was this really strange, like shaking, jolting movement. Mm -hmm. And it happened around the same time every day, usually when I was waking her up from a nap. And so I just thought it was a weird tick or like Sometimes it would just be 10 seconds long, so I was like, I'm just, like, overthinking it. I, was, because I think as, as moms, we sometimes are like, oh, I'm just being dramatic about something. Yeah. And, like, we'll yeah. have this gut feeling, and, you know, we'll sometimes be like, no, like, it's nothing, and we always have to go I with our gut. That gut feeling. Yeah. Yeah. So I was trying to just play it off like it was normal, just shaking, and then... There was one day last summer that it, I think it was last summer, last summer or spring, and it was, it spread, and it became a full body, and it lasted like 20 to 30 seconds, and I totally panicked. I actually had my camera in my hand, because I was going to go up and take a picture of her sleeping in her crib, and... I set my camera down and looking back now, I know I should have switched it to video and videoed it to show the document happening, but I didn't know that. And, um, I just went into panic mode, but we took her into the doctor and they basically said with seizures, unless we see it, it's hard to diagnose. (laughs) So we still got a referral to a neurologist. And we kind of explained it all to her, and she's the one that told us that really sounds like simple focal seizures, which I didn't know there was different types of seizures. I didn't either. So if you're listening and you're worried about a child's movements or jerks or whatever, and it kind of happens at the same time every day, listen to your gut. Don't shove it down. No. Like, it's worth a call or even just asking a doctor at a well-child appointment or whatever. Definitely. Uh, But she had an MRI last summer, and they did find, which you'll probably know about this, but they found a small calcification on the left side of her brain. But it's really teeny tiny, so it's not going to affect her brain development or anything like that. But that is a sign of CMV that normally they see calcifications on their brain in utero. Mm -hmm. But, you know, at 30-something weeks, it's so hard to, like, get a good look at their brain and stuff anymore because they're just so crammed in there but yeah that's so crazy. well and that too like it made me wonder like if that was missed while I was pregnant because oh the other 
Another big part of CMV is that when babies are born, they're either asymptomatic or symptomatic. Mm -hmm. Emily was asymptomatic, meaning she appeared healthy. So she was just like any other newborn. If they're symptomatic, um, they can have issues with their liver. There's a rash that CMV causes that babies can be born with. It looks like purple spots on their skin or red spots. Mm -hmm. Um, They could be born without hearing or vision problems. But she was asymptomatic. Yeah, and with your symptoms being so, like, severe, that's such a blessing that she didn't have anything so poor you you took that you took the brunt of it all thankfully for her yes um so that's why she was given the 25 percent chance of losing her hearing rather than 75 percent chance of losing her hearing but when we found out that she did have a calcification on her brain it definitely made me question if that was missed right that would have made her symptomatic not asymptomatic right Hmm. so but because she passed her last hearing test, I'm trying to just focus on, like, she was asymptomatic. Like, right. she only has a 25% chance. So after she turns six, does just the percentage go down, like, lower and lower as she gets older? Um, I it goes down, yeah. That's what we've been told by doctors here, but I have also spoken with the leading researcher on CMV, Gail Dimler. She lives in Texas. Mm-hmm. And she has researched it the most of anyone in the U.S. And she feels pretty, pretty strongly that even up into the teen year, hearing can be affected. Okay. So I think she's coming out with some research in the next couple years. I'm not positive, but it, that's kind of what it sounded like. So Kinley, so- Kinley's probably going to grow up. And as she's growing, more and more research is going to come along exactly. with as she's growing. So here's yeah. a question. With her having, so is CMV, like, I know you don't, you don't have CMV anymore, but she was, does she, will she always have CMV or is it something, do you, do you know what I'm trying, I'm not sure how I'm trying to say yeah, this, but like, contagious? well, not contagious, but like, you know, when she's older and wants to have a child, is that something, a risk that she's going to have? Does she, is it something like that's always dormant in her or? Yes. Okay. So it's sort of like mono. It's actually in the same family. So it can reactivate in her body when she's pregnant. Okay. But that's you or anyone else who's had CMV, same thing. It can reactivate. Right. If it reactivates, it's normally not as serious. Okay. That's just what I was curious about. Like, you know, if you have Down syndrome, you always have Down syndrome. Yeah. Not the fact of her, like, being, like, contagious, but just, like, if it's something. Yeah, it'll always body mine has actually reactivated twice now so my liver levels have gone wonky twice now and I've just had that low-grade fever and felt kind of yucky for a few weeks at a time um I'm not sure why mine has because I have healthy immune system but for some reason it's my body's had a hard time kicking it so do you know if they're like working on like a vaccine or anything for CV like you know you have the flu shot like is there a shot they are working on a vaccine for it, and there's also an antiviral for it. Okay. So if your baby's born with CMV and they catch it um, and they're symptomatic, you can choose to do the antiviral. And what I've read is that it sort of stops it in its tracks and can prevent some of the hearing loss and stuff. Okay. 
but it also has really hard side effects, which is why we were advised not to do it with Kinley. Okay. Um, because some of some doctors believe like it can cause infertility and things like that later in life. There's not a lot of research done on it yet, like longe, longe what is it called? Longevity, longevity, long, long, longevity, longevity. Is that it? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's something like that. <laughs> I don't know. I swear, I'm college. Um, there's not a lot of tests because um, in the U.S., I don't think they've been using it long enough to really know to study right. the effects into adulthood. Okay. But that's so yeah. crazy. So it's we're a... kind of just still on this roller coaster, but I think that it's sort of become our new normal. So. We're a little bit better about dealing with the anxiety that comes with it. Navigating it. So tell us a little bit about your book. Yeah. So I I wrote a chapter in a book called You've Got This Mama Too. And it's a second book in a best-selling series. And it comes out in April, but I have... um, I was given a lot of copies Uh from the printer that I can sell early, which is fun. Fun. And I chose my chapter is sort of about the village and how our journey with CMV taught me that I had to lean on my village of women that was ready to be leaned on. It's just as a mom, it's hard to say yes to that. I think. And I think it's hard to like admit we need help sometimes. Yes. And that there's so many people that love us and are willing to help walk with us through whatever it is we're walking through. And I think, I think for me, and I think any mom where your child is going through something that you don't even know a lot of the answers to, that makes it even more overwhelming if you have people that you know, they want to kind of know what's going on. You're not sure what to tell them. Right. So I sort of retreated into myself for a while and had to really learn to lean on people. Right. To let people, to let people in and be a part of what you're walking through. Um, so you have a coupon code with us, which is joyful noise, all capital. And when people use your code, 10% will go to, um, the hearing clinic that um, Kinley goes to. Uh-huh. Yes. Oh, and there, speaking of, hi. Kinley. <laughs> hey there. <laughs> Wait, yeah. our, the, the star of the show has arrived. Yeah, she was locked in. <laughs> well, I so, so appreciate you talking with us, and it was so fun to actually get to, like, speak to you not through Instagram. Yeah. But, um... Yeah. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for educating us all on CMV. And I, I just am excited to continue following your journey and following Sweet Kinley, hey, <laughs> following her journey. And um, especially and just praying that they'll continue to to make CMV more known and, and more treatable and more out there for people. So yeah. thank you for sharing and educating. And yeah, so excited. Go check out her her book. And you can follow her. What's your Instagram handle? It's just at Lisa Amit, L-I-S-A-A-A-M-O-T. So if you want to follow along Kinley's journey, their journey with CMV, and just such a fun, cute little family, just go check her out. And we will see y'all next time.